Welcome to Rad People I Know. This is a podcast about how extraordinary people are every day. Life is not just about what you do, but who you are in what you do. All of us know a whole bunch of rad people. These are some of mine. I hope you enjoy their stories. All right, cool. So you're all in Melbourne now, realizing, you know, long lost love reunited. You're still called Wretched Skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was kind of like we, it, like, I think they were forced to the change of the name after a while because, you know, we'd just been through so many incarnations and it was, you know, we kind of felt like Richard Skinny. I mean, it started in New Plymouth in 1992 or something, you know, and it was not the mm-hmm. same people. And we, and, um, we had a song called Doctor Invisiabla that we just really liked the name of. And yeah, we just went, now let's just start fresh with a new name kind of thing. So that's kind of how it went. Yeah. yeah. It was good. Nice. So describe the Melbourne scene I know would have been, you know, way more alive. A lot of the Wellington bands at that time, she had and Weta. Mm-hmm. You know, they all went to Melbourne as well. So there was, um, you know, it was kind of done. I, I wish we had done that in, in some regard as well, you know, because I think having been in Melbourne later on and just seeing, you know, how fantastic it is, there's so many places to play. Mm. And I think you guys even got a residency, which for a band of this kind of music, you know, to get a residency is is crazy. That's when I'm like, wow, that's amazing, you mm. know. Not that you guys don't deserve it because you 100% do, but it's just the residency tends to be like pop, you know, the the cover bands and the you know all that sort of shit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we had. So a- talk a bit about what it was like to play in the in that scene and. Well, that there was a lot of. I think all like you you mentioned a lot of the Kiwis that were already in Melbourne as well. A lot of there was a whole sort of like I remember a friend of mine, um, Gerasmus and Peeping Tom. He used to joke when we'd play gigs, he goes, "Oh, the New Zealand rock mafia is in again." And he'd sort of, you know, <laughs> like, because just all these Kiwis, and we'd always support each other's bands and always go to each other's gigs. And it was all, there was, there was, there was a real, you know, little, out, little outsider community, you know, that always supported each other's shows and things like that. And, but, um, yeah, no, it, it resonated quite well, I think. I mean, at the time that we got to Melbourne, it was the start of that kind of the, the next rock revival kind of thing. And there was Jet and bands like that were starting to, you know, the, you know what I mean? That sort of early 2000s yeah. kind of. 70s retro rock kind of revival stuff and we didn't really well, again, we didn't fit in that either you know? did, yeah. i felt like australia never really abandoned rock you know mm. like australia was one of those places where no matter what's happening you know they had electronica as well obviously but um you know rock is never abandoned in australia yeah. you know it was that was really cool to see too because we come from a place where we were even starting to say is rock dead is rock about to die like mm. and you know mm. we'd always just say you never you can never going to kill rock and roll it's never going to die but <laughs> you know it was actually starting to die <laughs> and then we got <laughs> Like, oh, it's still kind of alive and kicking here. Yeah. Oh, sweet. It's like, almost like stepping back in time. Um, mm. so we got the opportunity to have another crack at it, which was really awesome. Yeah. I mean, even, and there were a lot of bands coming over to Melbourne from New Zealand. I remember the Datsuns started making their big moves. Yeah. Then. They obviously went on to huge things. But, like, yeah, the, just just Kiwi musicians in, in Melbourne at that time, it was just, it was just the right, right time to be one, you know. And, like, we just, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good expat scene here, but... Uh, Australians really dug it as well. There were just lots of people with open minds that just seek out good music. There's great independent radio stations, as you know, like PBS and Triple R, that are really supportive radio stations. Completely independent. They're not. They're not part of the Murdoch, you know, bullshit or anything like that. They're just pure subscriber stations. So the yeah, you know, there's just 
so much good you know, music's a real belief here people really seek it out and it's it's yeah. it's very fortunate and even to this day it's, it's still amazing like that so and you guys got tracks on like triple r and stuff yeah we just get a fair bit of radio play and um again it still took us a while to get going because it was you know a lot of things that tripped us up in the meantime as well you know yeah which i'm sure we can touch on but, <sighs> yeah. but um yeah yeah we got caught up in a lot of stuff like we moved to a um you know a city that was uh, at the time the population of the country that we just came from so right yeah it was all of a sudden this massive place and there is so many um ways in which you can go down dark paths thing drugs are really cheap yeah you can get anything you want and yeah it took us down some pretty dangerous roads um so yeah we we sort of flipped and flopped and had a few moments where, speaking personally for myself, where I really did shoot myself in the foot when I mm-hmm. let opportunities go because I was too busy, um, you know, getting high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the cliche, you know, rock stuff, you know, like things like heroin and yeah. speed and things like that were all really, really cheap here, you know, compared to New Zealand where, at the time, certainly, like like we sort of left New Zealand before pee was a thing, you know, like meth, you know, methamphetamine. It wasn't. It's yeah. become much more of a thing, like literally a year or two after we left. Mm-hmm. But like in, in yeah. Melbourne, like heroin was everywhere. It was cheap and stuff like that, and you know, um, <gasps> it was never really quite my my sort of cup of tea at the end of the day. But um, I know that you know it was you know it was, it was one of those things that, that I think that was probably a big thorn in our side as a band, and I think um. It, mm-hmm. I, th- I think one of the things people never think about with, with things like heroin, though, they sort of they think it's like train spotting, you know, you know it's, it's amazing. Or then, then there's the dramatic kind of, you know, the sort of ending, you know, like, you know, where it's, you know, people become junkies. and But people never think about the sort of mundane kind of aspects that really ruin people's lives and that they become impatient, you know, the, the friendships that get, so, you know, the, they become un- not fun people to be around anymore. You know, that's the real tragedy when it turns good people into kind of assholes a bit, you know, because they can't, you know, yeah. too busy, strung out, waiting for the next, you know, thing. They get. And then, well, you I'm, know, not just not just selling musical equipment and stuff like that. I'm just talking about just everyday relationships. Just down, And that's a, that's a big thing that I don't think we don't really consider. Tough on a band. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Knowing the story of, you know, Steve and Rob and, um, you know, what happened in Melbourne with, with heroin and, like seeing you guys still together now, the two of you still playing, still the very best of friends. I mean, it's has a, it had didn't have a bleak outcome, exactly. but it could have. True, you know. true, Stephen as well. I think it's important to mention him. Like, still, we absolutely adore him. He's still we always one yeah. of my best friends, even though we fell out a lot back in the day. Like, I mean, he's an absolute story of of a, of a man who's totally turned. If we could have had him, oh, yeah. the classic story um, when Steve. When we fired Steve from Doctor Invisiablo, Derek was in a bar, um, and John Tugard from She Had walked up to him and said, "I don't know verbatim, but um, basically, big mistake sacking Steve." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you hear that from someone who is a music icon. Yeah, who we idolise. Yeah, yeah. Just think it's the bee's knees. It's kind of like the kick in the nuts. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a weird um, learning experience and a weird time to be alive. Mm. But you know, yeah. you had to go through those things in order to grow and to learn. So mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And I mean, that that's the thing. I think um, that whole time would have just been so surreal for so many reasons. Like all that you mentioned, you know, just the availability of choices um, open to you and, mm-hmm. you know, how you, how you experience all that. And, um, but again, I mean, so how many, how many years were you together before you fired Steve? Well, we, um, we recorded all of the Solipsis, the first album. We recorded all of that in two sort of different sessions in, in the same sort of year. And then it just got, we were trying to do, I think, just do the album out, trying to get the actual album out. And um, at that point, Steve had just, he got to a point where he just, he was not in a really good place and he was just really, you know, he wasn't showing up for rehearsals and stuff. And, you know, that guy, mm-hmm. and, and he just, it, it's like he sort of, it felt like he just lost all his interest in it. And it was just, it was just, yeah. And um, that yeah. was the end of 2005. And yeah, we released, um, so we actually got a new bass player. So Matty Chow, who's a, a mutual friend as well. So this is the next sort of phase of the band. Yeah, like it, it wasn't easy to find, a, there's no easy replacement for Steve because. No, you know, no, 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 no. You know, he, you, you sort of have to have two front, you know, two headed beast kind of thing. You've got to have yeah. front men, you know, doing very distinctive things in our band. You can't just get a normal fill in bass player. And um, so mm-hmm. Chow, uh, Matty Chow is, is one of the most very rare individuals who's a really, really good, you know, singer and um, guitar player and bass player as well. And he just he was mm-hmm. in the right time, the right place, and you know, we sort of moved on with him. So we'd put the album out, and I think it was pretty painful for Steve because he sort of saw us put the album out with another bass player going on playing all these gigs and doing tours and mm-hmm. all that. So I think it, he was pretty pretty hurt, and I understand. Yeah, you know. It took him it took him a long time to get over that, and I felt really terrible because him and I were kind of like partners in crime because we, you know, we were doing that stuff together um, and he felt um, some sort of guilt, you know, for introducing me to it. But, you know, um, stress and heartbreak can make you do really silly things. And at the time I lost who at the time I thought was the love of my life and was very, very depressed. And then this option was given to me to, um, hey, this try this, and it will make you feel better. And that's what mm-hmm. I was looking for, and it did. For you know, the few hours, it made all pain go away. It was just a miracle. It was like this is yeah. it just it, no more pain. It's complete. I feel great. Mm. Yeah, right. it was a vicious cycle yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And how did um, yeah? Because the two the two of you were uh, thickest thieves. I remember we talked about it. Um, uh, you know, years ago when I caught up with you and, um, but yet you never fully left the band. You somehow sort of went to the brink, but, um, how did you pull yourself out of it? I guess. Well, um, I, well, when I did pull myself out of it was when I left the band. I, 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 I just stopped, um, cause I lost my connection and I could never um, do it myself. I couldn't self-medicate or, you know, um, use right. intravenous drugs. I couldn't do it myself. I was just too – just didn't work. I had to look away. And, and I think yeah. once I lost that person to help me, it was easier to stop. But I was still doing it, just not as much. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, I sort of – Derek and I started to sort of fall out at that point because of obviously – I'm sort of slipping back into this drug hole yeah. and getting really sort of bitchy and, and you know, we were arguing a lot. And then it was something really silly. Like we played a show and um, my drum kit didn't get taken back and I had a big, I had a big 
pissy fit at Derek on the phone and I can't believe you didn't pick up my kit. Oh, what a bastard. And um, threw my toys and quit the band. And um, then Steve and I sort of you know, reconnected. Um, and we were like, it was like the elephant in the room when we met. It was, we sort of, hey, how are you? I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. You know, please forgive me and blah, 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 blah. And we're looking, fuck it, should we get some smack? You know, it was like, yeah. And then I started going down that road again, and I finally went after about six months. I was like, dude, I gotta go home because if I don't, I'm going to die. So, yeah. That was when I yeah. really got out and went back to New Zealand and cleaned my act up and. Um, nice. Mm. And Steve did something similar as well. Like he, he I think that, that was that was just he had to leave Melbourne, and the proof is in the pudding for him as well. He, he's now a school teacher now, yeah. plays music okay. still. You know, he's absolutely. You know, dad. You know, you know, yeah. has two beautiful children, beautiful partner. You know, yeah. yeah he's. Um, yeah, I think considering what he where, where he was at at the time all those years ago, seeing him now, I couldn't be proud of anyone like he. Steve's a bloody awesome guy, real. real yeah, and I think yeah, what he means really his, you know, as talking about Doctor Invisiable and Richard, like his, you can't understate his part in it enough. You know, he was, no. he was the three, you know, and he was, he was, he, and I always deeply admired his work. You know, as much as I admire Rob's drumming and everything, his, absolutely, his bass playing and his songwriting ability and just his imagination and just a. And he, I mean, he's such a riveting performer. Like I remember watching you guys live, and I just couldn't stop watching him because he's just got such presence, you know, yeah. and. Um, you know, all of you really very strong performances. You know, but I think, you know, he was very, um, really in the moment all the time and really just, mm. just like astonishing, you know, yeah, when you would yeah, see yeah. him live. Yeah. I really loved watching him. Yeah. And I mean, that was one of my, you know, coming into play with you guys. <laughs> you know, it was a big, like, I'm like, well, I'm no Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, but I mean, I think, and it wasn't, it wasn't going to be like that, you know, even, even though it was harder than what I was doing with the dogs and that's what I loved of it. You know, I mean, you, like you say, you cannot, his contribution to the sound is absolutely key. Yeah, for sure. So, so this album called The Solipsis. Yep. What does that mean? What's the, what's the meaning? A, a slip, or solipsism or a solipsist is someone who believes the world only exists because they're there. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a philosophical idea. Like literally if I close my eyes, the world doesn't exist. You know, you're only, right. you're, you know, um, it's like you're God, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. world re- right. literally the center of the universe. And that's it, an incredibly arrogant kind of funny kind of point of view, but there are literally people who believe it as a philosophy, like, you know, the solipsist. Yeah. You know, it means it really means incredibly selfish. You know, like you know the world. Re- yeah, that's how I always interpret it. But yeah, the idea of that the world only exists because you're looking at it, kind of thing. You know, it's because of you because of you. Right. And so Steve plays on the entire album. So you recorded the album with Steve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sweet. Okay. So I'm going to play uh, for those who sit, and I do want you to talk about this one because I you you posted around the time of. Um, you know, the crazy recent craziness in the U.S. around, you know, the big lie and stolen election yeah. and posted the lyrics to this song. So, yeah, what can you just uh, say some of those lyrics and speak to yeah. what they mean? Well, there was a friend of ours, Jay, who he loves to claim. <laughs> he loves to claim this. And then he did. He, he came up with the line, if you think that was bad, wait till something worse happens. Which uh, it's, it's <laughs> kind of like, that's why I think why I posted it on Facebook at the time because it just seems like, 
under Trump, just like, you think that's bad? We'll wait till something worse, you know, like just, oh, God, you haven't seen nothing yet. You know, 2020, just things just get worse and worse and worse, you know, like, and, but it, it's, and it's about the actually yeah. of like sort of sitting there and just taking it, you know, like the whole, like, oh, God, you know, just sitting there and moaning as the, as, more and more shit gets handed to you, you know. But it's also a bit of a, yeah. a, a from a, a thing at the time. I think what we thought was funny was about the you know playing to audiences that were that are just just apathetic sort of audiences, you know, that, you know, people are so too self conscious to dance or something like that, you know. Or for even, those who or yeah. even applaud, like you know, yeah, it's yeah. like you're there, you're watching the show. Clearly, the, the song's just finished, and you're like, yeah. oh man. <laughs> It's too cool to apply for you. Yeah, or well, just playing to an apathetic audience. It was something sort of funny. So that song's incredibly abrasive and aggressive. So I think we thought that was really yeah. as well, the idea of playing the song at people who didn't like us. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, there's a line, it's uh, here's uh, to those who sit, here's to those who suffer. And then there's a line later on that says, you'll learn to like, love it or you'll something. To, it's yeah, like you're you You'll learn to take your yeah. shit. You'll learn to love it. Yeah, but, that, but that's. But I, I, I never thought, you know, all these years later on, how relevant that would seem in the in the in the, the world of QAnon and Trump and stuff like that. I think oh my God, it's probably written for this time. You know, like you know the, these idiots who just who somehow admire Trump, and I, I, I fail to see what they admire about him. Like the guy is such a, an inherent coward. You know, like he's. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I, I mean, I kind of. It's not about left or right politics, but I just never understood how. Someone who's such an obvious liar and a, and a, and a bully and a coward. Yeah. I just don't understand mm. how people can look up to that. That's what I always found funny. Like, Not even look up, like worship the guy. Yeah, like, it's, it's like a yeah. weird sort of like a, it's like a masochistic kind of element to it. You know, that's how I kind of see it. Yeah. The, the fans of, of Trump and stuff is like, you know, yeah, anyway, I'm sure I'm yeah. really angry by saying that, but fuck him. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Here's a track off Solipsis. So, so the two albums we're talking about now are available on Spotify mm-hmm. um, in glorious yeah, all of the yeah, all the streaming services and Bandcamp. All the all the relevant. Yes, we recommend they go to the Bandcamp so we get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, do that, do that. <laughs> all right. Spotify. Yes. Yeah. Here we go.
Excellent. Mm. <laughs> you mainly then just played in Melbourne. Did you did you have aspirations to go wider? Like, yeah. did you play Sydney at all? Did you play anywhere uh, else? I played going? a few times. Yeah, got got into state a few yeah. times, but yeah, um, yeah, not as much as we would have liked. No, but, yeah. I mean that was. You know, due to being really slack mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. and spending all, well, for my part, spending all my money on things that I shouldn't be spending my money on and never having enough mm-hmm. money to travel. Um, well, we did go back to New Zealand. We did, we did, we did a, a couple, couple of, of tours, we did a back couple to, New of tours to New Zealand. We did a few interesting yeah. gigs, but we never got to the East Coast, which um, would have been nice to get to Sydney. But I imagine the, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I think our reception in Sydney probably wouldn't have been as warm as, as we got here yeah. in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, Sydney's definitely different. Yeah. Sydney's a bit, Sydney was uh, a bit more of, I think, a, a dance scene. But, I mean, they did have some great pubs there, which, you know, like the Annandale. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they had that side to them, but I agree. I mean, I think for the size of city it is, you know, Melbourne – had a way stronger scene than Sydney because when I, I lived in Sydney for 18 months before I went to Melbourne. And, oh, you know, really? You lived in Sydney? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. when I first moved to Australia, I moved in, uh, lived in Sydney for 18 months. Ooh. I wasn't playing music at that point. I remember um, yeah. there was a band we used to play with a future, uh, quite a bit um, back in the day called from New Zealand. There were other Kiwi guys that decided to go to Sydney for some reason. Uh, Degrees K? Oh, Degrees they yeah. a really great band. But, they, uh, but I know... They would come down and play shows in, in Melbourne and stuff, but I, I think they had some sort of degree of success in Sydney. You know, well, they had Degrees the, yeah. K were pretty strongly backed by Sheehan. Like they supported yeah. they had quite a lot of gigs, and they had a quite a similar sort of dirty hard rock. Just yeah, um, and they were yeah. great, great, uh, great live band. So, did you guys ever play with Sheehan? Oh no, 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 we, no, we, we, didn't. Didn't. we, we didn't. Actually, they actually came to quite a few of our shows, and and. I know that um, Steve King told me because Steve um, is quite close with John and um, Carl and the crew mm-hmm. um, that on one of their tours, the Solipsist was their um, tour album that they, they wow. played it. And they, um, mm. Even Phil Knight came up to me one night and he goes, Teratoma, best song I've ever heard. And so you know to hear, oh, yeah, yeah, say yeah. stuff like that to you was like, Whoa. I think one of my sort of you know, I could die right now kind of moments was talking to John Tugood one night, and he was like, just really just talking about different songs and something. And like you know, you know when someone's they're not just giving the oh yeah, it sounds great, man, you know, but like really going on detail, you know, talking about all the things he loves about the songs and, and asking questions. Right. And I, I could, you know, because this is he's my hero, you know, like. Like in, you know, like back with she had the biggest influences on me were like with Churn and, and Killjoy, obviously, yeah, immensely influential albums on me. And like, and so to hear one of my heroes talking, you know, about what I did was probably one of the yeah. moments of my life. Like, it was really, yeah, it was really wonderful. Yeah, I think those moments, like, you just can't quite believe it. Like, I've had a few crazy moments. There was one where we played um, the APRA awards in New Zealand and we didn't have Tom at that time because we'd fallen out with Tom. Tom had gotten into some trouble <laughs> and um, so we were de- and it was literally right when we had just been signed by EMI. We'd done the first video with him and then things fell apart. So we were trying to find a replacement which is just ridiculous and we, we were in between singers but we were trying a guy who'd sung, you know, he'd sung in some of the early grunge bands or something in Auckland and he was so excited, and so, you could tell he was so nervous, right? Mm. And we were doing the thing because uh, 
New Zealand does um, where all of the songs that are nominated for the Silver Scroll, other bands perform their version or their take on them. So we had um, that song by King Voodoo, I Am King Kong. That's right. I Am King Kong by King Voodoo. Yeah. Great song. Loved playing it. And we had we had done this epic instrumental version of it that was just incredible because we kind of morphed into like uh, different sounds by the end. You know, we threw in like a little subtract tribute. We did like some some little moments of other bands kind of in the outro. And um, anyway, when it came to the performance and I was wearing, you know, my big zookeeper white dress that's in the video and the dude went to sing and he blew his voice out couldn't didn't even sing a note like basically like so we just carried on with the performance you know we just did it and john campbell um you know came up to us afterwards and he goes who are you guys he goes like you're better than she had which at the time i'm like we don't even have a singer dude like you know like thing but it was one of those moments where he was like you know genuinely blown away and then after like I'm kind of wandering around and there's all these you know New Zealand artists coming up and complimenting me on the song and the dress and all that stuff and I was a huge Split Ends fan when I was a teenager and I wanted to marry Eddie Rayner so much when I was like I don't know 12 maybe (laughs) (laughs) so sure enough like standing in front of me is Neil Finn and Eddie Rayner and Neil's like he goes, wow. He goes, you know, I heard good things about your release. He goes, good luck. He goes, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, and then Eddie's standing there and I'm basically drooling. I can't even believe it. So there was there was that episode. And then when we actually went to Sydney and we mastered the, the first album, um, we did it at 301 Studios. And the guy went off to the bathroom and he came back in and, and he said, man, everybody's asking me, you know, who are you guys? Because it was, I think we were mastering to dance at Catastrophe at the time, which is a nuts song. And, and then this guy comes in and he looks at me and he goes, is this your band? And I said, mm-hmm, yep. And he goes, um, do you have a deal in Australia? And I said, no. I said, we uh, just got signed to EMI in New Zealand. And he said, do you want to come to Australia? And I'm like, yes, of course. And um, so he said, well, I have a label. He gives me his card, right? And I'm looking at it and I don't. I just look at the name and I don't, I'm like, mm, whatever. And the mastering guy goes, do you know who that was? I know you. Yeah. And he goes, I go, no. And he goes, that's the bass player of In Excess. That's Gary Beard. Gary Beard. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm all like, you know, maybe. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. You know, and then of course, like, things fell apart for us epically. But like, if we had, you know, if we kept, um, you know, the original lineup and all that, you know, I think I think you guys have had it and we've had some of those very close moments where, you know, that's that's all the stuff. Like it takes a moment like that to shift you into the next yeah. year, you know. Yeah. yeah, huge amount of luck. You know, there's yeah. so and, and I think, you know, we all have had brushes, particularly coming from New Zealand and Australia, which is relatively smaller scenes to other parts in the world. Like it's easier to have those brushes, but it seems to be harder to take advantage of them, you yeah. know, because even she had. Man, they had some bad, bad luck, you know, when they went to break the states and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, How's the timing? You know, uh, know, the the early 2000s, it wasn't cool to call yourself a a name that sounded a bit like jihad. (laughs) Like, you know, so, yeah. I know. Yeah, I remember talking to them about that and how how painful that period was for them, you know, like how bitter they were about it, you know, like, you know, but, you know. Standing in front of a crowd of people with your name pacifier and thousands of people going she had she had she had 
it's the next level for them because they just killed Australia with the General Electric, you know, mm -hmm. and so it was the next step for them and they were slated to go huge. And, you know, they're talking about all of a sudden you owe your label a million bucks because they've spent all this money launching you, you know, and you're just, you're terrified in a way to stick to your guns because you're, and you're hamstrung because you don't know what is the right decision. Yeah. Which way should we go? Don't envy the position they were in. I think that would have been, that would have been tough. Yeah. I, I, yeah it would have sucked. <laughs> yeah. It would have really sucked. You make decisions that normally you would never make or you would have never made. I remember, you know, that whole ill-fated thing with Killing Joke for us on the second album. Yeah. Just weeks out, I said, I feel like I should cancel this whole thing. I said, I feel like it's going to go completely wrong, you know. And sure enough, it did. And But by that time, you know, you're in so much money. We were over there and there's just, and we paid thousands of, like, that was hugely expensive yeah. exercise. And it buried us, you know. Mm. You can't recover stuff like that but at the time you're like man if we just push a little harder and take on a bit more debt we just need to get in front of more people you know all that stuff you tell yourself and it's um that's, yeah. and you know, that's what people will tell you they'll say you know it's at that moment of fear that you should really move towards it whether it's a good outcome or a bad bad outcome yeah move into it because um you never know where that's going to lead you mm. and you know exactly it works out sometimes exactly. and sometimes it doesn't i remember being in Gisborne, you know, Tom calls from LA and told us the story. And I mean, I could see, I could only imagine how shattered you guys were. I was just, I was, I was equally shattered, like maybe not to the extent you guys were, but all of your hopes and dreams sort of crashed down around me as well. I was just like so gutted for my brother. It was Ooh. such an yeah. amazing yeah. story. And then, to just have it taken from you at that last moment was just, yeah. Yeah, it was it was so devastating. I remember when I woke up and got the email and I just was, I just felt sick, you know, um, <clears throat> because it, at that point too, you know, we had made connections, but we were paying to be on that support tour. Yeah. And thanks, thankfully, you know, I had only negotiated paying a portion up front instead of the whole whack. I'm so glad. You know, but of course, you, you never, even though, you know, they say, oh, you know, I got the runaround. I tried to obviously get my money back. And of course, that was never going to happen. But you just get the runaround by these big companies that are like, it, it actually, it broke me. Yeah, it broke me financially and it broke me emotionally. And but um, while we were up there, my um, mom had passed. So there was there was a bit of a silver lining in that, you know, I could be you there. Were able to be there. Yeah. I was able to be there. And I, at that point, like I had to look at those things and I remember Tom came with me and it was such a memorable trip up there. After that, I was so exhausted and I just had said, I will never, I'm not paying for shit ever again. Like I'm done. I will play with you guys. I'm not going to pay for more shit. I'm just done. You know, it really ruined me. And there was a, it's a shame, you know. Heartbreaking story that it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, man. Totally sucks. I mean, we did get to play the Viper Room, and that was great. Yeah. And I mean, and even then, like you're you're hearing things. The uh, you know, we finished our set, and the bartender it was a Monday night or something. It was still really full. And the bartender, like, I went up after to get a drink, and he's like, "Man," he goes, "I see a lot of bands come through here." And he turns to this other patron, he goes, "Did you hear her band?" And the guy's like, "No, I just got here." And he goes, "Man." That's some of the most original shit I've heard in here in years. He goes, and we have bands every night of the week, you know? Yeah. So even things like that where 
it's just that little glimmer of like, you know, man, you're playing shit and connecting with complete strangers with music and those moments definitely make it. You haven't wasted your time. You've actually reached out and connected with people and given them a good feeling and maybe – you know, who knows what you've inspired in people to go on and do. Yeah, don't know that's that. exactly. yeah, exactly. So, you know, those moments and, um, yeah, it's all, it's all great. It's all, it's all good. Um, it's all good. All right. I'm going to play uh, a second song off of this ellipsis called, um, it's called 10 ton, but we all know. <laughs> 10 ton country. <laughs> which I think I can, cause it's my fucking podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to censor myself. So tell me about this song. God, this was about, well, if, if you listen, you'll hear that the, the riff is pretty heavily lifted off a riff in Jesus Christ posed by Soundgarden. Yeah. You know, the bridge. But it was, yeah. we, we used to fool around with a lot of different tunings and sitting as a guitar player, I was constantly in all kinds of wacky tunings that I'd invent or use and, but um, for that one, that was just the the E strings just tuned down to A, so it's like you know, the two bottom strings are A an octave apart, and it just has a really frightening, you know, kind of like really slow slung, disgusting sound. And um, again, I, the song literally means nothing. Like there's there's no there's no, no. no nothing. There's no it. it's, it's just purely puerile humor. Like we thought it was funny. Like. We wrote it. We all wrote the three, which is very rare for us. But we wrote the song, the three of us sitting in the practice room together, and we were kind of—I think we were a bit stoned, and we were just like, someone would say a line, and then we'd laugh, and then we'd add another line, and we all sort of added little bits and took bits off, and then added bits, and it was really just a stupid song about driving really fast. And yeah, a, a, a big car splash yeah. with sort of overtones of sex in there. Yeah. It's, it's just stupid. It's, it's really. Not- but the, I'll tell you a funny story uh, behind it, uh, related to this song, though. But my, my parents, like, you know, you mentioned when you were younger, you, it was a, quite a, a conservative household and rock and roll was. Yeah. Well, my, my parents, they never really, they've never understood what I do. Like, through them, they, they were always into music and stuff like that. And my love of things like the shadows and surf guitarists it comes from my, my dad and my mum. I love Django Reinhardt because of my mum and, and um, her, yeah, her, right. where she grew up listening to her dad playing jazz and stuff. They've never, ever, <laughs> the look on their face when I've ever tried to play music of mine to them, they just don't understand. And bless my mum's cotton socks. One day she went out for a walk. She got a got her MP3 player and put her headphones on. And and, and she, was, she was, I think she obviously tried to make an effort to try and listen to what, try and understand what I do. And the song she listened to was this song. <laughs> and she was just like, I heard that song of yours. It's something about 10 tons something. What's it? And I was like, I was like oh. Literally any other song I could tell you about it, but that's just like, oh. So, yeah, that, that, I think that was the first and last time she tried to listen to anything I did. So. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not um, it's not about some woman out there. <laughs> it's literally just it's just just it's juvenile big, stupid big, jokes. Yeah, it's you know. big petrol here, car, toilet humor. Yeah, yeah toilet yeah, totally, humor, yeah. being being dicks, basically. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, I love it. Let's have a listen. Okay. Ten ton, as it's known in its commercial <laughs> elements. Yes, on Spotify. <laughs> Radio friendly elements. Yes. Yeah, yes.
Probably what it's about someone that had sex with their monster truck, really, isn't it? Yeah, people that are real, yeah, um, metal, yeah. Uh, like petrol heads enthusiasts, to yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, that's what, yeah. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be misquoted on yeah. that. <laughs> it's a red pill song, like, like yeah, excellent, no. definitely, definitely not. No, definitely not that, yeah, hmm. cool. All right, we're going to move on um, to the next album now, Brain Fever. So um, at this point, Rob, you had gone back to Gisborne. You cleaned yourself up, got married, I think. Um, well, I, was, I was engaged, yeah. Engaged. Yeah. And then and then came back. Um, so at this point, um, with Steve, what, what were you doing, Derek? Like, well, how did you guys all come together again? Basically what happened with this album, this was um, – because we, we were together for about another couple of years. Yeah, we wrote, um, we wrote after the, the synopsis. We wrote the album together. Mm. Like all the drum parts, I wrote with Derek and Maddie Chow, but we demoed mm. them all um, at a place called Sound Vault in Melbourne South. This is where Maddie um, worked. South yeah. Melbourne. Yep. Um, but like West Melbourne. West yeah. Melbourne. And then I left and they got um, a new drummer. Once they were ready to record the album properly, he came in. And so the finished product is Pedro, a, fr- a good friend of ours from a well-known Australian mm. band called Killing Heidi. Um, and NIL, uh, No Intentional Life Form, yeah. So he, he recorded the drums for that album. It was a collaboration of, of, of all four of us because I was there when we mm. wrote it. I just didn't finish the recording. Yeah, there's literally a version of this album with Rob drum playing the drums, you know, but we just didn't get – just didn't get finished, and then so we started again from scratch with Pedro. But yeah, this is about two thousand seven, I think. Maddie on two thousand eight or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and we carried on. And Maddie on after this album came out, like we literally, we were only really together for probably about another eighteen months as a band, a working band. After this, after Rob left, like Pedro was in it, but I think he'd come from pretty big heights. You know, he was used to being in a big band with per diems and things like that, and like you know, we yeah. were just. He sort of, um, yeah, so it, it just wasn't really, you know, he had stuff going on in his own life that I, I think we couldn't offer him a, a big band experience like he was used to. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a professional musician, you know. Yeah. After, you know, and after you've been playing mm-hmm. stadium shows and getting paid, you yeah. know, upwards of 20, 30 grand for your band to do shows, to go down to, You'll get fifty bucks, maybe <laughs> after we pay the sound man. <laughs> after you play in front of you know, yeah. the sound man and his yeah, yeah. No. The songs, songs are all essentially written. You know, they're all a collaboration between me, Chow, and, and and Robbie. So yeah, nice. So um, I've selected a couple tracks off this album, so we might um, we'll listen to the first one, eleven fifteen. So anything special you want to say about this song? Um, it's, it's the breaks, basically. The reason it's called eleven fifteen is because it does this, bam, 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 
and then stops um, while Derek's doing this wacky guitar riff over the top. Mm. Yeah. We worked out we'll do it 11 times with a break, and then we'll do it 15 times with a break, and then we'll bust into a verse, and that's why we called it 11-15. I don't really yeah. know um, what it's about. Oh, the, the, oh, the, it's sort of about, um, I think, I, I can barely remember, but I think it was a bit of a dig at um, opportunistic type of, you know, People who blow smoke up your asses, you know, you know, and they, you know, and they really don't mean it, kind of stuff. You know, just like sort of like um, yeah, yeah. scenesters and stuff like that. Like you know, in, Mel- in Melbourne, there's I mean, anywhere in any music scene, there's a lot of that. Um, just that kind of you know, just douchebaggery kind of you know, I don't know, just uh, just people I thought were, were yeah, kind of phony and kind of but you know like yeah, people who just you know just the heat preys on you and stuff like that. And you can clearly see it doesn't mean anything. They don't really believe what they're saying kind of thing. That's, I think. Yeah, they don't really yeah, mean it, yeah. It's not about anyone in particular or anything like that, but just based on a few different sort of characters. Just that feeling. Years, you know, like, yeah. yeah, and again, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> you know, like, you know. No. Yeah. You, you know, the lyrics go, um, your timing is impeccable. You walk in the room with that winsome grin. And, and yeah, it's just, yeah. You know, yeah. people when they, when they do heaps of coke and they just, you know, they just praise you. Yeah. <laughs> and they just big shit on coke and stuff like that. I know, that's I'm, kind of I, what's I know I'm really wasted, but I really love you. Too. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. So- yeah. It's, not, it's not because I'm so wasted. Yeah. Like, on it, I'm really it's saying. Not, it's yeah. not the drugs talking. It's definitely, you know. It's like, really, you know, yeah. really true. Definitely me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I have been guilty of that. Oh, so have I. So have I. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the yeah. I'm, the I'm worst not... part about it is that at the time I'm really mean what I'm saying, but I'm also really nice. But you just sound like such a twat. Yeah, you just yeah. Yeah. Like you sound like such a twat to someone. Oh, did I say that? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't say that like thinking I'm above the, above the criticism myself. You know, I'm I'm, I'm just like no, 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 no. It's it's just, you know, lashings of humanity of yeah. a song. Yeah, yeah. You know, stuff. Written in a song. Yeah. All right. 11.15. Your timing is
fantastic. I love still watching arguing about how many times you do things in that. Like, it's 11. No, he's doing 11 there. You're doing 15 there. No. I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hilarious. But yeah, there's a lot. I think with this album in particular, there was a lot more of a. I know I've always been a big fan, but particularly the Melvins really comes through, I think, more in this album. It's more, more yeah, those definitely. it's definitely that more chuggy kind of nasty sort of, you know, Melvinsy kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to wrap up uh, the Dr. and Busy Diablo chapter with um, this last song, Tad and Comfortable, which I think is a freaking masterpiece. I love this song oh, so much. Yeah. Um, so talk about this song. Um, I don't care if it's about nothing. I love it. <laughs> well, this one actually, asked, but it does have a kind of a story, I guess. It's, it's more about um, that was designed around the tuning. Like it's in this weird C tuning that I use for a lot of stuff. It's like C-A-C-G-C-E, you know, if you're going from the thickest to the skinniest string. And it's um and it's it just you know odd tunings can make you come up with interesting ideas. You sort of force yourself out of your comfort zone with things like that. But this song, I really wanted to create like I wanted to really have as closely just the most quiet kind of thing still playing and it's still bust into hip. Mm-hmm. Play with dynamics a bit. The lyrics of the song are about um, an ex girlfriend of mine that was um this in those you can't win kind of thing. You know, like a tad uncomfortable is just kind of a silly way of saying you know like. What you're doing to me is, you know, like I, I can never be comfortable, kind of thing. Like, I'm, it's, I'm never, I can never be yeah, that yeah. thing, you know. Whatever, whatever option I pick, I'm yeah. going to be the bad guy in this kind of thing. It's sort of a bit of a, it's a bit about relationships and the sort of, the sort of, um, you know, really wanting out of it. <laughs> I think okay. really that's what it's about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So writing a song about it, and hoping that you can read between the lines. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I wrote the song many years after the relationship, so it wasn't, yeah. Right. You know, and ironically, I'm still really good friends with that girl now. Like we're still we're still good pals. Right. Yeah, just yeah, it's not. I once got my belly button pierced because I thought the guy that I was with at the time would be so horrified with it that he would leave, <laughs> and that, <laughs> that didn't work. It was, it was just kink. <laughs> he wanted to change. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn it! Now I'm actually gonna have to like tell him and everything. Oh god. <laughs> Why don't you just like be horrified by my piercing and leave in a rage? That would be sweet. It'd be so much easier. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. All right, tad uncomfortable.
fucking love that song. It's so great. <laughs> All right. We were having some video difficulties, but we seem to be okay now. So, um, so the last project I want to talk about is the one that you've done more recently during COVID lockdown, um, called I, so don't give a fuck, uh, which could be isolation. I don't give a fuck. There's a little bit of a play there. Um, and so essentially what you guys did was you just got together and did some random covers, things like, um, uh, jumping someone else's train, which, um, if anybody's ever tried to play that song or a forest, you think it's freaking simple, but it just isn't. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, David Bowie. So hard. Yeah. There's, and my favorite is the, there's the blooper reel on that one. That one's great. Um, just straight away. First time. That's we would for like sure. to say that we've got perfect takes every time, but that was absolutely not the case. No, definitely not. No. Yeah. But, you know. Oh man, that's funny. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like just, uh, major Tom. So Peter Schilling, um, gosh, uh, Pet Shop uh, Boys, West End Girls, some classics, you know. So mm. so just tell me a little bit about, obviously it came out of the boredom of COVID, um, but how did you come up with the idea? And, and was it just like a fun thing that evolved, happened to start evolving or how did that all eventuate? Pretty much. It was, it was just, um, it's been tough. Like, I mean, like, like, it's, like Rob and I live together. We're kind of like the odd couple in our 40s. You know, both you know, both separated. Like, you know, I'm, I'm basically all but signed the paper, divorced from from my ex and stuff like that. So, um, Robert separated from his wife. So we we sort of like started living together, and then sort of lockdown hit, and Rob lost his job. It's been a real tough tough year for Rob, and it's been like, yeah. I mean, and tough on everyone. But I mean, like, I I, I seem to. Come, I came through it fairly unscathed. Like I started a new relationship. Uh, my girlfriend Ali, and things are like things have kind of went all right for me, really. Uh, but 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 out of the boredom, and like, I think to try and keep that love of music alive, look, what we would often do is Rob and I would sit around drinking cups of teas and having spliffs or whatever, and, and, and we just and we'd we play a game called um, oh, Red ball, uh, rubber, rubber ball, and basically it's basically a, a forces the people involved to DJ something. So what you'd try and do is a song would start, and then you'd um, you'd rubber ball it to the next person, and it would be like you could it was you sort of there's no real points or anything, but the more creative and clever you could make the song, you would play next, the better. So let's say for mm -hmm. example you put on a song like. Um, Let's say you put a Hotel California, not that we ever would, but then you'd try and come up with something, some sort of sort of offshoot of that. So, like, it could be a song about California, you know, you'd California dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you, the, the more creative you could be with how you would DJ it based on the theme of the song, and that would sort of pass the time. And, we'd, and it was nice. fun. It was, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, so we'd do that. But again, as we mentioned before, both of us being 80s kids and stuff like that, like we both love our embarrassing sort of pop music and things like that. But also the genius things of the 80s that, you know, that you sort of, like the Peter Schilling, for example, Major Tom, that's a, such a great song, like, you know. And, um, great song. Yeah. yeah. I've I rediscovered that song because of um, there's this, this awesome album that I, I got given by a friend of mine of this woman who was a, a busker in San Francisco back in the 70s and 80s called uh, The Space Lady. I highly recommend seeking it out. You can find it on Spotify mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And she just did all these really random covers, you know, her on a Casio tone, which is an immensely talented lady. 
and her husband was this, it was a real bizarre story. I haven't got time to explain the whole of it now, but it's a real interesting story behind it. But she recorded all these songs that her husband was trying to say, this is what the kids are listening to now in like 984 or something, you know. So you'd learn this song, you know, and so she'd, and she'd do these bizarre <laughs> interpretations. And one of them was Major Tom. And I just thought it was so inspiring. It's such a great – I love covers where – that where you do a cover of it and you really aggressively make it your own, you really reinterpret it. And I always have a huge amount of respect mm-hmm. for artists that can do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, so we and we do, we just think of songs that we thought were, were cool and thought, fuck, that would be really a challenge to try and do it. You know, you know, just doing it at home. We started off just doing it on acoustic guitars and things like that. And you know, Rob would get a bit bored because. Well, I'm not. So, yeah. I'm not a guitarist, so I really felt the pressure, and it'd be like Derek's like got to really teach me how to play the song, and then. I was, my fingers hurt, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm really out of my comfort zone, and I'm trying, you know, and then I got an electric kit and was like, this is where I'm more comfortable, yeah. we can do this a lot better now, and yeah. to try and recreate it as a two-piece with very minimal um, sort of accompaniments yeah. made it a big challenge. Because yeah, everyone else would be doing, you know, I know lots of people were doing isolation stuff, yeah. they'd be using garage band or pro tools and they'd, they'd you know do these quite amazing like, like i'm in awe of how they would do it but we would so we were still on the absolute bare bones kind of this is just us playing it live kind of thing you know like and just songs we thought were yeah. just funny to do that we love and that you wouldn't think normally done that way you know like i've never heard anyone do pet shop boys for example as a two-piece you know like with just a guitar and drums and all that and <laughs> no. So yeah, we, we, anything was a challenge, and we'd, it was we'd do it once a week, and a lot of our friends just started sort of sort of hanging out for they knew around about four o'clock on a Sunday in Melbourne time, we'd put a new video up and stuff like that, and it was just something to do, yeah. some, some some sort of ritual to sort of make the the boringness of the you know. Give you any, even a, just a small sense of achievement that you've done something good yeah. for the You've universe. done something. Yeah. yeah. Even if you never got out of your robe, which I do love the sessions with. <laughs> yeah, <I'm wearing> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some great footage of you just like, um, you know, I think when you were doing backing vocals on Jump, I love that because you're just like, Jump! Like, you're just like, <laughs> so uh, Yeah, that was because, of course, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen had died that week as well. And like, that's right. Know, yeah, really. that's right. And it was just, a, 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 again, like, obviously I can't play like Eddie Van Halen and we couldn't, and I just thought, well, what's a, a way of interpreting that song and doing something different with it? And so that was really what it was. And, and It works really with, well, yeah. Yeah, and we, we did it with yeah. love. You know, we love that Eddie Van Halen. Love like, and yeah. respect. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Mm. No, I thought it, I thought it came off really well. And I think that was one of the really, cause I, I saw you started posting on, on Facebook and even me, I'd be like, Oh, looking forward to seeing the next thing. And I always thought, because it was, it was really, it's, it's like everything you were trying to do in COVID. It's like, everybody's just trying to work with what you have, mm. you know, uh, repurpose things or, you know, your life has changed. And so working with the instruments you had in the house, sometimes the old piano, um, you know, doing a very, you know, still doing an incredible version of the song without the benefits of a full band or like, Mm. you know, all those things you might take for granted in a, in a, and, and I would imagine for you guys, like playing that sort of stuff together after, after literally so many years, you know, playing, it was like you say, it was a challenge. It was a new thing to, Mm. to go through together. Yeah. Yeah. So, What's next? Because, um, firstly, how does it how does it feel for you guys to have been playing music for so long together? I mean, the bond is um, if you're not a musician, you really don't understand it. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a but, marriage, isn't it? It's like you, you're married to someone. You know, we're married to a, 
uh, or, or I compare it to probably people who are, who are veterans who have served in the army together or something like that. I imagine it'd be a similar mm-hmm. bond. Like you've been through really, you know, just stuff that's that only you can sort of understand together, and you know that you know you you know exactly what we mean. You know, you've done that too, obviously. Yeah. You know? But like, yeah. um, I think. Oh, look, you know, when you know someone that well, you know, you know, it's like, you know, like Rob's everything but blood related to me, but he's my brother, you know, like I see him mm-hmm. as family, you know, and I think he sees the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know. totally. And, and that's what it's really about. It's about sort of helping each other as, as friends and trying to, you know, just pushing each other through the bad times and, you know, supporting each other. But, um, yeah, playing music together, like it's it, like Rob's obviously moving back to New Zealand soon and stuff like that. So it's, it's sort of the end of the year of, of, of what we've done the last few years in Melbourne. But we have had some uh, – since life has come back slightly to normal, you know, and after lockdown here, there's gigs. We did, did a gig a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've got mm-hmm. this dig, which is basically Shin Plasters, the band we were doing. I mean, it's basically the same material, but um, and my friend Shannon is, is a, uh, the only other drummer that could possibly sort of fill Rob's shoes, is playing drums mm-hmm. in it. And uh, Paul Trigg, who was in Letterbox Lambs, another one of my our favourite bands from back in the day in New Zealand. And um, but we played a gig as so we said like alternating between Shannon and Rob playing drums. Nice. And it was really really wonderful. We had an absolutely fantastic night. Yeah. And we have got one more gig we're definitely doing before he goes back as well. So mm-hmm. we're, we're looking nice. we're looking forward to it. And we've been recording stuff every week. We go we recorded like Sierra Leone by <laughs> by Coconut <laughs> Rock with Obscure New Zealand. Yes, you sent me that. Yeah. You sent me that. I'll um. Yeah, I'll make sure I maybe add it to the end of the podcast. Like, yeah, I think yeah, what I, yeah. yeah, I'll add it to the end and play that. That'll be yeah, great. Those obscure um, one hit wonders of New Zealand and the Olympics coming. That's very yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that song. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, the way, the way I look at it, Rob, Rob's going back for his, for his own sort of reasons of family and things like that. And I think it's, 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 you know, as much as it's sad for me, I'm sad. I look at, I mean, he's been my go to guy for drums and music all these years. So I'm sad you know, to see him go, but also know it's the right thing for him. And the way yeah. Shannon looks at it, he's sort of keeping the seat warm for when he comes back kind of thing, you know. So the door's always open for Rob when he comes back. And, and I always find with the real true friends you have in life, like time is kind of irrelevant. Like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I just know we'll see each other again and we'll do music again in the future. We'll do music again, you know? yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel the same. You know, I felt that way with um, Dan and Tom, you know, for sure. Um, and I mean, uh, I would love, you know, I'd love for Rob to be, you know, involved in some of the stuff while he's in New Zealand um, that we're working on, you know, it would be great. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things of, you always have to have that because, because I don't, I don't think I could, even if we never played music together again, I couldn't deal with the thought of that. It might not happen. Right. Like, Mm. and so you always are like, it is, it is going to happen, you know, because the thought of not having that option available to you is just, you can't face it after you've been through so much with family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. and yeah. also just and yeah. as far as like just playing music in general, I, I, I think real you know true musicians get it too. Like it's something you never you can't stop even if you wanted to. Like you know like I, I'm going to keep doing this till as long as my body allows me to do it. Like when I'm old, yeah. if I'm old and embarrassing doing, it, I don't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> I, I love I love what I do. This is what I need to do to to be happy and stay alive and stuff like that, and help me navigate this world that I live in and express myself and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm never gonna get. I'm never gonna stop doing. Never it. gonna get. I mean, it's been because I've, I'm, you know, I've spent a lot of my adult working life, you know, traveling a lot for work, and you know, while that's had some benefits, I mean, one of the realizations for me in COVID is that I haven't been very still. I haven't been in the same place. 
and allowed myself to even develop or experience things in where I was because it was always very temporary because I was always going somewhere, you know, it was mm. highly disruptive. And so um, naturally I'm gravitating back towards music. It's been a huge hole for me not to have it, you know, um, not to play it and not to create. Mm. And um, I think now, yeah, being in one place and being present, like I have so much creative um, energy coming through. And I think for me, I really did do myself a disservice having that kind of life, you know, because it, it was, it was impossible to, you know, be in a band or create with anyone. Mm. Um, and I don't, and I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore, you know? And so even at my tender age of <laughs> 57, <laughs> 55, it's only 55, but still. Um, Seriously. Yeah. yeah. No, fucking hell. I thought you maybe like 40, maybe like the same age as us, like 46, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're doing very well, Val. I would never have guessed that. Oh, thank you. Year. Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, but that's the thing too for me. It's like, I don't want to be afraid to, you know, I don't want to have this thing of like, oh, well, that was what happened then. And, you know, it's not possible for me to, um, you know, I just want to, I want to make good music and play good music with people that I love, yeah. you know, and collaborate. And I mean, cause to me, the best times in my life happened, you know, through this whole period that we've been talking, those early days, those are the best times in my life. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So proud of what you create. So happy to play live. Great to meet other fantastic musicians and, and hear what they're doing. And there's so many talented bands out there, you know, and when you're playing in your little group and you're just like, man, like we used to get so excited to play gigs with you guys. Cause it wasn't just about the gig. It was about all of the hanging out time mm. together yeah. and all of the funny shit that you did, you know, like the, um, you know, quite possibly what Tuscany, the, you know, all those, all those things where I remember when we crashed on Rob's floor in Wellington, you were living with um, Lincoln, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it was so much fun. But I remember we were sleeping on the floor and I remember waking up to Dan saying to Hamish, our drummer at the time, he was like, Oh, so you were a Vag baby then born by Vag. And so basically <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And the boys were, all talking about whether they were cesarean or vag, you know, and I have a fond memory of that same night. I was in my room at that point. I don't think I could handle anymore. And I just, <laughs> I heard Thomas crying with laughter and I, I went out and was like, what's going on? And Dan was looking all disheveled and he's like, Tom just said, oh, he told me about this time that he went to his friend's house and they made a mistake, but it wasn't medium rare, so he ran home crying. <laughs> Which is so Dan, if you know Dan. Oh, my God. It's like, the, the you know, he was never a dirty rocker. Never, like, <laughs> never grungy. No, I remember his girlfriend would come home and there'd be like eight glasses in the sink. And she's like, who came around? He's like, no one. She's like, so you won't even drink out of your own glass twice in the <laughs> same day. You know, <laughs> he was such a, Oh God, such a princess. And, yeah. and Yeah. Hilarious. I remember that story. It was so funny. Yeah. It's those, those are great memories with you guys. And um, so just one last question before we sign off, what is your favorite memory of our friendship? that you know since oh we've been God. Oh, look i've got to say for me 
Tom, just feel like I'm talking over you. So sorry, but you go first. Um, I, I as I, I, back in the days playing with you guys in Auckland and Wellington and stuff like that, and, and I, I've always loved watching Rob playing with you guys as well and stuff like that. But for me, one of my favourite memories of us is literally when we did the Incendiadors in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I think playing that gig yeah. in uh, in that, well, the Vic or wherever it was, and just the fact that we just came up with that set quite quickly. We only had like one or two rehearsals and stuff like that, but it just flowed yeah. so well and. You know, it was just—it was a magic, magic show. Like it was just—it was just really, just flowed really well. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. And the stuff like, we just oh. covered such a—we did some covers that were really unusual, like a couple of morphine numbers, Frank Black mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like really, just—I was really excited to be you know, to be part of it. It was—it was just really good bonding. I'm yeah. I, I we often talk about it. You know, it was what a great gig it was and a great time. Yeah. 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 That's my favorite. That's got to be my top memory. Yeah. Well, my, my favorite is going back a little bit. Um, I've got lots of favorite memories of you, Val, but one in particular Same, yeah. is, is uh, when we were in the York Street A studios and we were um, just starting to lay down the um, drum tracks and you guys were sort of help guiding me, obviously, because we were recording the drum tracks first and, um, you guys were just sort of outside the big glass booth where I was just kind of playing just so Thanks. I could just hear it, but I was still shitting my pants because I had Malcolm Wellsford <laughs> staring at me from over here. And I really wanted to impress him. Um, but, yeah, and you guys were so good and so kind and loving and you looked after me and uh, made me feel mm. like, you know, I was mm. part of the family, which, yeah, it's a very fond memory. Definitely. Mm. Thank you. I love, yeah, I love that time. I love all those pictures we took in the studio. Yeah. I still go back and have a look at those. They're pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. And I just, um, yeah, I really felt like um, I finally had a proper, because before you, um, I felt really alienated with the drummers because, you know, they would uh, complain about Dan's rhythm and riffs and have arguments. And I'm like, I never saw any problem with it. So I'm like, man, I'm not with you on this one. And I'd have to try to like, get them to hear what I was hearing in rhythm. And like, you were the first one to come along where you just got it and it was fine. And finally I thought, man, I've got a unit now. Like we're a rhythm section. It was like the first time I felt that and felt what it was actually like having come Mm -hmm. to rock and roll a bit later in my life Mm -hmm. to play anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was amazing. It was really cool. So awesome. It was a hellish. All right. Well, on that, I mean, like I said, we could keep going for hours, but uh, I think we will stop it there. But it has been an absolute pleasure to see you both and talk to you both. And I, I love you guys so much. And likewise. Yeah, I hope I hope there will be an Incendidors gig in the yes. future. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Awesome, love. All right. Thank you, Val. Thank you for. Right. Um, well, take care. Thank you for thinking that we're red, and um, <laughs> yeah. we, we think you're red we too. We think you're red, and I love you to bits. Rock oh, on, girl. Thank okay. you. I love you guys. All right. Rock on. Yeah, you guys are rad. Going through these songs today. Mm, miss you. Bye. Join us next week when we talk to Phaedra Fisher one of the earliest consultants on the ground in post-Soviet Russia in 1994. We review her book, Vodka Diplomacy, and talk about her personal stories and her experience in the post-Soviet Russia.